push or pull objects. And so the Millennium Falcon gets drawn into the Death Star and loses control of itself and, and pulled in. A, a gravitational force can draw a smaller spaceship and others towards them, capture them, take them in. And this image came to mind as I was reading over Romans chapter 15, that we, the church united in Jesus, are God's powerful force, a united voice within the world to draw people into God's kingdom and into eternal life. So today's sermon is called, For God's Sake, Get Along, but it could easily have been called the, the why and how of being a tractor beam church, or why is church unity so important? For simplicity, I've reduced the message to the main instructions Paul gives, and he gives two exhortations, two imperatives, two instructions, one in verse 1 and one in verse 7. Verse 1, to bear with one another, and verse 7, to accept one another. So two hows, two whats, and each of them have whys attached. He appeals to our reasoning as well as to our behaviour. So first then, the word accept or bear with. Paul continues his encouragement to the strong as we've been seeing from chapter 14. This is now the third sermon on this topic. Um, we've had, I think, two home groups, or we will have two home group chapters on this topic of getting along. It seems to matter. And he writes in verse 1 there, we who are strong. That is not necessarily the older Christian, but the mature Christian who is clear about Christian freedom, the Christian who knows what is important to God and what is not important to God. That strong Christian ought to bear with the failings of the weak. Um, the weak here being those who still get caught up in concern or conscience or take up arms about lesser things. Now the word bear with here as well might seem a bit negative, but I love it for its realism. Um, the word bear gets the, the idea of carrying across something relatively heavy, perhaps like a big water jar or a heavy backpack. I like that terminology because as a pastor it rings true with what is so often needed in ordinary church life from our many leaders or when you're asked to have a role perhaps to serve or to be on morning tea you're going to encounter difficulties just by working with people people are complex some relationships might feel like hard work you might pa patiently bear with the failings of people as to use the language there who are distressed or upset about things that may not matter all that much. Food, drink, days were some of the examples in chapter 14. We shouldn't be surprised with this language if church relationships will feel heavy. They may feel like hard work. Sometimes it may be like skipping through meadows arm in arm with kindred spirits, that's how church feels. Other times an uphill muddy bushwalk, swatting at mosquitoes in the rain, carrying someone else's pack who should have been carrying it themselves. Press on, says Paul, to the strong. Lead the way. Verse 1, continue in sacrificial concern for those you lead, as we see in verses 1 into 2. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good, to build them up. Sometimes Christianity gets a hard time in the media as an oppressive religion. See for yourself how oppressive this kind of religion is. Now, this is no excuse for the immature to remain immature, to keep pushing for what is wanted. It's no excuse for divisive people or 
for, for unkind words to be justified with, well, that's just the way I am and you have no choice but to accept it, church leader. It's not saying that the church should turn a blind eye to flagrant sin that might mock Christ's holy church. It's not saying that elders or home group leaders should just put up with everything. It's important, actually, that the church has a mechanism of discipline and helping people through different behaviours. If you're an older brother or sister, you grew up with younger siblings, you can probably relate well with what Paul is trying to get across. When you were five years old, it may have been you had a three-year-old or a two-year-old little brother or sister that you had to put up with, who was acting like a two- or three-year-old. And when you were a teenager, you may have been asked to bear with those younger children around you acting in a childish way. It may be as parents bearing with younger humans while raising them, and you're always called to be the grown-up in the household, even when you want to be childish in your reactions. There's a self-sacrificial spirit in households and in churches that we see explicitly there in verses 1 to 2. And perhaps this is a chance for us to pause and ask ourselves, well, am I one of the mature, the, the strong, or am I perhaps weak? Now, it's often not easy to discern, and when we're self-assessing, we always have to be careful we've got the humility in place. Uh, Proverbs 12, for example, gives us a good warning with its wisdom that the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. That's a good saying, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. We, just because we think we're right doesn't mean we are. Most of us think we're right or on track, uh, the strong, perhaps most of the time. But just as one study said that 80% of drivers think they're above average drivers, we need to be a bit careful, not assume. We may not be as strong or as correct about an issue as we think. And one test of your strength is how well you cope with people at church who are different, who perhaps think differently from you or require flexibility or perhaps some change from you. If you are strong, or if you just want to be stronger, then bear with the failings of the weak, with the strength that you do have. Learning, verse 2, not to please yourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good, to build them up. A happy example of this, well, a few weeks ago I made an appeal here at 10.30 to regulars to please sit towards the front. It makes it easier for newcomers to just take a seat at the back and see how church works, or if they have young children, to... Uh, bring babies in as well. Uh, I was away the following week, but someone told me, hey, the front of the church was packed. People moved forward and allowed room for new people to come in. Um, not pleasing themselves, but making that sacrifice to help others was very pleasing to me, listening on. Thank you. Now, we'll see if this is needed in coming weeks, but I was, I was really grateful for that. What about a less happy example? In one church I attended, the youth worker for a number of years really irritated the older generation in our church by not wearing shoes to church. He's a youth worker, he's meant to be an example. Now looking back on this, if the, the older Christians, if they were perhaps stronger Christians, might have recognised this isn't actually really important for us as a church to get hung up on and for us to define the youth worker in terms of what he's got on his feet or not. But the youth worker as well, who you'd think would be strong, 
in knowing his freedoms, he knows he doesn't have to wear shoes to church. The Bible doesn't tell us to wear shoes to church. He could have put on shoes as he went to church knowing that this would cause less distress for a good number of people in the church. And wearing no shoes didn't seem to advantage anyone except to make a point. Getting on takes concessions, patience, bearing. And this might shock you, but I suspect in our church we'd have people who vote for the Greens. We'd have people who vote for Labor. We have people who vote for Liberal. We have people who vote for One Nation. And yet all bearing with those who see politics very differently. It's terrific. Some of us will vote yes in a referendum upcoming. Some of us will vote no in a referendum and still get along. Sometimes I'm asked to make comments or do things in relation to political things. And my role is not really to promote a political side so much as to point everyone to Jesus, wherever you're coming from. He's the one, not a political party, who meets society's greatest needs. He's the one who exceeds the greatest strength of any of the parties, who lacks any of their weaknesses, and who helps the most divided people get on. Hopefully Jesus' cause enthuses us all much more than political causes. In our church we also have different thoughts on singing older or newer songs, whether it's the organ or the piano or guitar, slightly more formal or informal dress, whether we prefer to meet in the morning or in the evening. It's natural to have preferences about these things, but we have to be careful that such preferences, uh, if such preferences mean we can't or won't praise God together with those who have a few different preferences. I don't think it's a problem, but it would be a shame, for example, if some of us were thinking, well, I won't come to summer church because they, they might play the organ. I don't think that would happen. But sometimes it's hard for those perhaps in smaller congregations to come into a bigger one or to feel that they're a bit too different or I don't like the way they do things. I wonder what issues are most important to you at church and are they things that are important to Jesus and his kingdom? Paul listed three of those in uh, chapter 14, verse 17. We should be all caught up in the things of the kingdom, righteousness, peace, and joy. Whatever the topic that arises from the world or within the church, the strong in particular are urged, verse 1, not to act for their own interests, but to do what best builds the church up, verse 2. And I love how our caring elders and so many gentle leaders around the church are cautious with change, slow with change, perhaps not changing things if others can't go with them knowing that change at the same time is necessary as part of life and growth. It's a balance and there's gentleness and, and what's good for everyone is a big question. Um, many of you have been in this church long enough to know each other's foibles and weaknesses and political persuasions, the way others might respond poorly under stressful circumstances and so on. What is really pleasing is that you're still here and what's really pleasing is that those others are still here as well with you. It makes us more like Christ, who, verse 3, we read, did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. It's the cry of the psalmist in Psalm 69, taking hits from people for God and for the good of others around him. And Christ is the ultimate example of that. What Christ endured for others what he bore for us 
should provide us with more than enough fuel for coping with the people around us. Our term for sermon series uh, coming up will be on the Old Testament prophets. And we see, as, as Paul makes clear here in verse 4, that there is great value to be mined in the Old Testament, great riches. Paul shows us how relevant they are, how instructive, how nourishing, encouraging the Old Testament is. And this short passage we've read today is full of Old Testament. But verse 4 says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, not exclusively, that is generation after generation, so that through the bearing up, the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope as we face the challenges we have. The hope here is like a rope of conviction tied around our waist, going towards God and towards heaven that lets us endure and get through storms in this life. As it was for the saints of old, says Paul, and as it was for faithful Jesus who came later, who endured so much for God's people, so may God now empower the church to endure, verse 5, to be of good courage like the saints of old and like Jesus to have this sacrificial commitment to one another that God's people have, again, verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Jesus Christ had. That's a high calling, isn't it? A friend of mine was diagnosed recently with autoimmune disease. And as I was just trying to understand more of what that is, the government health website described autoimmune disease as occurring when the immune system produces antibodies that wrongly attack the body's own cells. A body working against itself. For God's sake, let us not be a church body working against itself, fighting within itself, rejecting itself, wearing itself down internally. We have really important work to do and we do it best when we're healthy. For God's sake, let's be a church that bears well with it, our own members. Now, I realise to use that phrase, for God's sake, I don't use that very often. It's, it seems a bit strong, doesn't it? For God's sake. But I say it to echo the sentiments of Paul, who gives the big why of why we bear with each other. First, he says, bear with each other because Jesus, your Lord, did so before you. If you're a disciple of Jesus, be like him. Verse 5. And secondly, for the grand reason of verse 6, it's so that with one mind and one voice, you, we, may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the body image continuing here. We're three congregations in this church, two sexes, all ages, all different stages of life, backgrounds, but we as a church are to have one mind. We as a church are to have one voice because it is with single-mindedness and with one clear message for Jesus that we best glorify God and let him be known in the world. So Paul is not just providing a recipe for a happy church experience. It goes much, much deeper than that. And it goes into eternity. Of all the things Jesus could have prayed as he approached the cross, he prays the very things Paul is urging us to do today, and God is urging us to do today. Remember from John chapter 17, and you might look it up on page 1680 if you have your Bibles open. John chapter 17, verse 20. 
his prayer is for future believers. He says, my prayer is not for the disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, later Christians like us, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There's a tractor beam going on. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. We're a united, loving body that have seen the glory of Jesus, and that's captivating, that's drawing, it has an influence. And look at verse 24, Jesus wants even to be united with us. It's like he's waiting for us to join him in the new heaven and the new earth. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. There's our hope. That's where we're going. Jesus sees it. He even asked for it. He's looking forward to it. And it's a great vision for us to head towards. I thank God that we are, I think, a very united church. But this isn't just nice. It's what we must be to honour the Lord Jesus, and it's missional. It's what a lost world needs of its churches, even though it perhaps thinks the churches aren't necessary at all. God's kingdom, after all, God's judgment, heaven, hell, are all very real. The world doesn't perhaps realise it, the world doesn't realise God is worthy of their praise. And it's not good enough to go through life withholding that praise and expecting everything to be okay when you meet him. A unified church has a voice that can declare these things to the world because this message isn't easy and it invites persecution. Church is good at bearing up, accepting one another, uh, also good to, to be good at accepting one another. We see secondly in verses 7 to 13. Um, I mentioned while bearing with one another is good, it seems a bit of a low bar, doesn't it? The second instruction in verse 7 is more than bearing, it's positively accepting, welcoming, receiving. It's a hospitality-related word, like to receive or welcome someone into your home or a home group. But as we do that as a church... How does that look? Well, again, verse 7, we learn this too from Christ who is still today discipling his disciples with his spirit and with his model that we have in Scripture. So God says, verse 7, Welcome, receive, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. Again, that's a lofty acceptance. That's a big call. That's very forgiving. That's very tolerant. That's very gracious. And what's the goal of this verse 7? It's the same as bearing with others. It's for the praise and glory to God. When Jesus came, he was heaven's gate. He was the way. He was the path. He was the invitation. He was the great tractor beam that led many to praise God through his ministry. Christ was sent to the Jews to love them, to die for them to generate a message of acceptance and then to begin broadcasting it. That was Jesus' mission, phase one. But phase one was also always to set the stage for phase two. 
the broadcasting of God's glory in Jesus as the way for all nations. As verse 8 puts it, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews, this is God's great plan, become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, to create the truth, to uh, make the truth available, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, phase one complete. And moreover, phase two, that the Gentiles, the nations, might glorify God for his mercy. It's good reason to consider these two verses are a good summary of Romans. There's good reason also to think of these two verses as a summary of the goal of history. This is why the world exists. This is where it's all going. Now, why all these Old Testament quotations? He quotes from 2 Samuel 22, Psalm 18, Deuteronomy 32, Psalm 117, Isaiah 11. He keeps saying, and again, and again, and again. Firstly, I think it shows that God is fully behind the Christ events. A cosmic, I told you this would happen, and then, look, I did what I said I would do to the world. But by piling up these quotations, it also shows how close this is to Paul's heart and to God who created the scriptures before him. For God's sake, then, the church wakes up to the fact that we're continuing God's work, Christ's work, Paul's work, of broadcasting with one voice the world's greatest news. We just prayed this morning for one of our own here at GPC this, this year to be heading off to South Asia, taking the gospel with him. Uh, we're planning a visit from our gospel partner in Germany next month, Jochen, who plans to come back for a visit. Uh, each week we pray for a different part of the world typically, either in public gatherings or in home groups. Because the Spirit gives us an impulse to care about the world, that it hears this. That's not of ourselves, it's not of the world, it's not of Satan, that is of the Spirit. And so as we read from verse 9, notice the repetition of the word Gentile, which can also be translated nation. And notice the joy, the ex exaltation, the singing that God intends to bring to the church in order that the world is brought into that happiness, that joy that is the church's. Verse 9 then, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the nations. It's been predicted. I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, verse 10, rejoice you nations with his people. And again, praise the Lord all you nations. Let all the peoples extol him, not just Israel. And again Isaiah the prophet says, the root of Jesse, the great King David, will spring up a greater one. One who will arise to rule over the nations, not just Israel. In him the nations will hope. And so here we are today, a church fulfilling again this prophecy. A church in a world that is struggling for hope, happiness, peace and anxiety. A pathway to social unity that's never going to happen. Some water, please, in a parched existence. Meanwhile, a little church like ours here in Dremoyne is knowing the living water. We're singing about him. We're praising him. He's known and he's imaged in this church as the love of God is known in us. Jesus had the benefit of having great power, signs and wonders to draw people to God through his ministry. Today, the church, we're not to expect the same power but we do have the same spirit. 
the same loving force that will lead people to feel something of God in our community, an aroma used by God to draw people today into his kingdom as we speak of the power and the works of Jesus who came before us. Notice too, it's not self-generated. This is the work of God, and it comes in answer to prayer twice. May the God do these things. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we have these traits as a church, praise be to God. If we're weak in them, to the degree we're weak in them, let's pray for them and work towards them. Yes, God uses what is deeply good for us. He uses our happiness. He uses our joy, our delight, our singing, our heartfelt songs of praise. He uses these things for the nations to be drawn to a God who dwells in the praises of his people, as Psalm 22 puts it. The Lord dwells in the praises of Israel. We've appreciated today the why and also the how of bearing with one another and accepting people into the lives of our community and our groups. It makes that observation ring true. That people have said that Christianity is more caught than it is taught and that the church loves people into the kingdom. The prayer I hear myself most often saying around the church, perhaps most days of the week, is a very simple prayer. Lord, will you draw people? Lord, will you save people? Lord, will you sanctify people? Draw, save and sanctify. While I'm praying that, while you're praying that, you're bearing with one another, you're accepting of one another into your circles as a community is vital in that process. For God's sake, let's get along in it.